0: Our scripture reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 2, and it's on page 45 of your Pew Bibles. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that she had a fine, he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer... She got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day, after Moses had grown up, she went, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, glancing this way and that and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? He asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man. Who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help became, because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. This is the word of God.
1: Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me one more time? Lord, I am excited to come to this story today this rich, amazing, true story from your Word. And we ask that it would uh, shape our minds and hearts uh, in the right ways. And you would help us to understand uh, your amazing work to raise up a Savior for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. In 1997... So about 25 years ago now, uh, a juvenile fiction book was released in England by a never-before-heard-of writer. The first chapter of this book was called The Boy Who Lived. And it starts with this baby boy being deposited in a basket on a doorstep of someone's house. We learn that he has survived an evil attack that killed his parents, leaving him with a scar on his forehead. As he grows up raised by an aunt and uncle, he begins to realize that he is not a normal kid. He has some magic powers. And so he goes to a magical school where he faces increasing opposition from this dark, evil force and where he learns that he is the chosen one who alone can defeat this evil villain. Now, who am I talking about? Harry Potter. What do you say, Meg? Moses. <laughs> Actually, it's Harry Potter. The Harry Potter series was a huge success. It sold 500 million copies worldwide. It was translated into 80 languages. It was the best. It is the best-selling book series of all time. Uh, why is that? Why did people line up for hours? before release day of each book to, get, to be the first to get their copy. Well, the author, J.K. Rowling, tapped into this longing that we all have for a Savior. We want it to be true that there is a Savior who is going to come and rescue us, that there's some special anointed person who can, who can defeat evil and get us out of the mess that we're in. Harry Potter is just a type of savior figure. His story is really just a retelling of a story that is as old, at least, as the book of Exodus. In Exodus 2, we meet a special child who survives death and will become the savior of his people. His name is Moses. Now, his path to saviorhood, if you can call it that, is filled with these unexpected, unforeseen, and sometimes unwelcome twists and turns. And it's precisely through those turns that God works to fit everything into his perfect plan to make Moses the Savior his people need. So I want to I look at this story today because it can teach us a lot about how God works to save us. Especially because Moses is a forerunner and a pattern of a greater Savior. The the Savior of of all Saviors, Jesus Christ. So I want to look at this story in three sections one, the boy who lived, two, the prince who fled, and three, the God who remembered. The boy who lived, verses one through ten. So here in the beginning of this chapter, we meet a three-month-old boy floating in a basket on a river, pulled out and handed to Pharaoh's daughter. There are so many details in this part of the story that are telling us the same thing. They're saying, this child right here, he is special. He is the chosen one. He is going to do important things. There are many subtle and not so subtle clues in this story. so first of all, his parents, we learn they're from the tribe of Levi, which is the priest will become the priestly tribe of Israel, the tribe that is set apart to serve God. We know that his parents are people of courageous faith. They get married and they have a son at a time in which any one of their neighbors or uh, friends or Strangers could have reported their son to the police and had him thrown into the river. Because remember the last words of chapter 1, Pharaoh said every Hebrew boy that is born needs to be thrown into the Nile. He's trying to suppress the Hebrew people. When they do have a son, his parents, they keep him hidden for three months, and then the mother does something that must have taken tremendous faith. She gets a basket and makes it watertight with pitch and then puts her three-month-old baby into the water. Can you imagine doing that? And just watches him float away along the riverbank. It doesn't tell us what she was thinking, but I can imagine she was heartbroken and longing for God to do something. Well, she technically obeyed the Pharaoh's orders, by the way, to put her son in the Nile, just not in the way that he thought. The writer of Exodus here is giving us other clues that Moses is special. You can't see it so easily in English, but where it says in verse 2 that she saw he was a fine child, it actually says she saw that he was good. Does that sound familiar? It's an echo of the creation story when God made the world and saw that it was good because Moses through Moses God is doing a new thing a new creation a new work Furthermore there may be a footnote in your Bible that says the word for basket can also be translated what ark Is that significant here we have a boy, this savior figure, in a, an ark coated with pitch, floating on top of the water that is meant to destroy. Like Moses. And so, I'm sorry, like Noah. And so here's Moses, the, 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 the focal point of God's some type of new creation, and the one like Moses set apart and saved for a special purpose. These are are clues as to who Moses is. Now, I love what happens next. Who should find this basket and this baby but Pharaoh's daughter, who is down by the river bathing? She sees the basket, her servant retrieves it, and when the princess opens it and, and hears the baby crying and sees this boy her motherly instincts kick in. And right on cue, the baby's sister, who we'll later learn is, is named Miriam, comes over and says, Hey, I just noticed you found a Hebrew baby there. Do you want me to go, to go look for a Hebrew woman to nurse him? Because I know just the person, right? <laughs> and so not only does Moses' mother get paid to nurse her own child, But the one paying her is Pharaoh. Pharaoh is supporting the child that will grow up to be his downfall. The irony is so rich and so wonderful. Isn't it amazing how God weaves all of these details into his perfect plan? It's amazing. And by the way, don't miss that in this part of the story, the heroes are female. If not for the faith of his mother, the quick thinking of his sister, the service of this slave, and the compassion of Pharaoh's daughter, Moses would, would not exist. At some point, Moses' mother, who must have been heartbroken all over again, delivers her child back to Pharaoh's daughter, who officially adopts him. And it's, it's this Egyptian woman who gives Moses the name Moses that will ring through eternity, probably second only in Scripture to the name of Jesus. And the name, of course, means draw out because she has drawn him out of the water, but it declares his special purpose that he will be the one who draws the people out of Egypt. This is a special child. Are you seeing that? the boy who lived. Well, Moses grows up in Pharaoh's court. We're on to number two, the, the prince who fled, verses 11 through 22. Moses grows up in Pharaoh's court, um, no doubt being highly educated in all the, the knowledge and the wisdom of the Egyptians, um, but his path does not follow a straight course from his special birth to his saving mission. Uh, it takes some pretty big detours. We're told in verse 11 that one day as an adult, Moses, quote, went out to where his people were and watched them at their hard labor. And for some reason, we get the sense that this is the first time he really understands what is happening. You know, maybe he's grown up hearing all of Pharaoh's propaganda about these dirty Hebrews and how they need to be suppressed and how we need to control them. But now he goes out and witnesses for himself what is happening. It would kind of be like a Ukrainian born in Russia hearing Putin's propaganda about the war and then going to see for himself what's happening. The, the civilians being shot in the bread lines, the bombs falling on hospitals. And they, he realizes... Oh my goodness, this is terrible. Moses realizes, my people are being treated horribly. They're oppressed. Obviously, he knows that he is not a um, a pure-blooded Egyptian, so to speak, but he has this other heritage, a Hebrew identity. And he feels connection and compassion for his people. Well, it says that he watches a a taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave. And as that whip goes up and comes down on the back of that poor slave, something rises up in Moses, some sense of righteous indignation or justice, long for justice. Something rises up in him, and he makes sure no one is looking, and he kills this taskmaster and buries him in the sand. This is a very definitive moment for Moses when he, realized, he starts to realize what he needs to do. He needs to help his people. But how, how does it work out here? Not so good. Because the next day it says he goes out and sees two Hebrew men fighting with one another. And in Hebrew the language is clear that one is actually beating or striking the other. Um, And Moses steps in to adjudicate, right? Maybe he thought that his fancy clothes would give him authority. Maybe he thought that they would recognize that he was someone special. But look what happens, verse 14. The man said, the man being the one Moses is is saying, hey, knock it off. The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Midian was a neighboring region to the east of Egypt. So in the space of two verses, things have rapidly changed for Moses. He dreamed, his dreams of bringing justice to his people have vanished. He's been rejected by his adopted family. His own adopted grandfather wants to kill him. He's been rejected by his own people, the two Hebrews that he was trying to help. And he must be thinking, like, did I think killing one Egyptian would solve anything? Did I actually think I could step in and lead my people? They don't even know me. And I wonder if that man's question was ringing in Moses' ears. Who made you ruler and judge over us? The truth is, one day, in the future, God will make Moses the ruler and judge of his people, but not yet. Right now, he is just a prince without a palace, a savior without a mission, a leader without a following. So here's Moses sitting by this well in Midian. But in the Bible, we know that good things often happen around wells, and this is no exception. Along come these seven young women with buckets to collect water for their father's sheep, right? And then some, some other shepherds come and try to scare them off to hog the well for themselves. But again, Moses' sense of of The need for justice and being a protector and a savior uh, kicks into gear. We see his character coming through here. And he he goes to the aid of these women. Um, We're told that their father is named Ruel, which means friend of God, and he is called a priest of Midian. Who is this guy? Well, we're going to talk more about him in coming chapters. but it seems he is a believer in Israel's God, even if he doesn't fully understand who God is. Well, the story moves quickly. Within a few verses, Moses is having dinner at Reuel's house and then marrying one of Reuel's daughters and then welcoming a son, all in the space of two verses. It was a speed dating situation. <laughs> but we have to pause and ask here, what? Is God up to? It doesn't look like Moses is any closer to doing what God has will call him to do. Moses doesn't even know that God has called him to do anything. We know reading the story and knowing the story that Moses will go back and rescue his people, but right now it just seems like he's doing nothing. He's taken this huge detour. He's been rejected by his people. He failed in his attempt to bring justice. He forfeited his power and status in the house of Pharaoh. He's hundreds of miles away living as a shepherd um, with a son whose name reminds him that he is in exile, right? And there Moses will stay for 40 years, 40 years, that's a long time. Maybe Moses needed to have his his faith purified. Maybe he needed to fail first before he went back to succeed. Maybe he needed those long years of solitude in the wilderness. We don't know what God was doing. And it's easy for us to sit and talk about this, knowing how the story turns out. But what about the generations of Israelites who died or who were born in bondage in Egypt during this time, waiting for deliverance that never came. What about them? What about the parents who lost their boys being thrown into the Nile? What about Moses himself, like wishing he could do something to help his siblings and help his parents and help his people, but just sitting there watching sheep, his beard turning gray, his children growing up, his whole life happening, and nothing was changing. Right? Forty years may not be much in the grand scheme of things, but it's sure long enough to feel like nothing is ever going to change. But this is where a decisive turn happens in the story. Verse 23, Look with me to see the God who remembered. Verse 23 During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Everything hinges on God's initiative in this story, and in the whole Bible for that matter. It may have felt like God had abandoned or forgotten his people. It may have seemed like Moses was at a dead end. It may have felt like God didn't care, but Scripture gives us this wonderful peek behind the curtain at God's perspective. And it said, God did remember. God heard the groaning of his people. He had not forgotten his covenant with Abraham. He was about to do something about the plight of his people. Nothing is going to be accomplished apart from God's power. Moses, by himself, without God's power would be a nobody. But God has raised him up for a special purpose, and God at the right time will empower him and send him back. And all of this gives us hope. God is faithful to his promises, even when it feels like he has forgotten them or deserted us. If you have waited and waited for God to help you, to do something for you, to to come through for you, and that has never happened, you may feel like God has forgotten you. Like, God, why are you letting this happen? It It can be easy to think, like, why is God letting this war in Ukraine go on day after day after day with all of these innocent people being killed? Why does he seem to sit idly by While people need saving. And the only honest answer to those questions is we don't know. We have no idea. And yet we can trust that God has not forgotten. God cares. God hears. And if you ever feel like, maybe even today, like God has forgotten you, I want you to hear loud and clear that he has not forgotten you. He remembers he remembers his covenant for, for his people then. He remembered his covenant to Abraham. And for us now, he remembers his promises to us in Jesus. Well, <clears throat> that's where the story leaves us for now, with, with God being ready to act, and we'll see what happens next. But as I reflected on this entire chapter, this entire part of the Exodus story, again, it touches on our need for a Savior. Everyone in this room, whether you know it or not, everyone that you know, everyone around us, everyone in this world, has a deep longing and need for a Savior. We are desperate for a deliverer. We are a lot like those Israelite slaves groaning under oppression. We—they were groaning under Egyptian taskmasters. We are groaning under the weight of sin and death in this world. And all of you this week have tasted the bitterness of sin and death. All of us—we're we're groaning under that slavery. That's why stories like Harry Potter are so popular. We long to believe that someone or something will come through, break through, and save us, right? And to that we can say, there is a Savior. Friends, there is a Savior. And not just Moses. Moses. 1,800 years after Moses, God raised up another Savior for his people, not just for the people of Israel, but for the people, for anyone. And Luke one fifty four says this about what God did in raising up that Savior. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants, just as he promised our ancestors. God remembered. Like Moses, this Savior, uh, his birth was surrounded by uncanny events, right? His parents were people full of faith. And when an evil king sought to kill him, he escaped. He was the boy who lived. Ironically, Jesus fled to Egypt to escape the evil king, Herod. But also, like Moses, Jesus was the prince who was rejected by his own people. John 1, chapter 1, verse 11 says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The rejection that Jesus went through led him to an apparent dead end where he actually died. He hung on a cross and died, and his followers lost all hope. It seemed like Uh, he had failed and that God had forgotten them. But in the amazing, unexpected way that God works all things in his perfect plan, Jesus, in fact, could only accomplish his saving mission through rejection. Just as Moses was first rejected and then came back to lead his people out of Egypt, Jesus went through rejection to then lead a greater exodus out of sin and death. Are you seeing the resonances here between Jesus and Moses? That's what I love about this story and so many stories in the Bible is that they're so wondrously and marvelously fulfilled in Christ. And I just want to take a step back as this sermon ends and see how beautifully Jesus has fulfilled God's plan. Let's appreciate the fact that God has remembered us and sent his own son to be killed for you and me. You know, outside the church, there's so much cynicism. There's so much cynicism and and pessimism. This attitude, no one is coming for us. If we want to change, we better do it ourselves or If there's a God, why isn't he doing anything in this world? Right? So much like you've got to be a fool to believe that anyone's going to come and save us. Right? Right? Don't let anyone tell you that you are naive or foolish to believe that there is a Savior. That he he has come and he will come again. Well, inside the church... Right? If outside there's cynicism, inside the church, honestly, I think there's boredom with Jesus. We've heard the stories a million times. We know the right answers. We know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, blah, blah, blah. And guys, let's never take Jesus for granted. Let's never forget what an amazing Savior he is and how God raised him up and and. How he worked in such a perfect way, a marvelous way to save us. Let's never lose sight of that. Treasure him and celebrate him every day. The Savior who came for you. And if you're listening today and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, the Savior, let this be an invitation for you now. He came for you. And he is asking you to trust him, to repent and believe in him, to follow him, and to let him save you from sin and death. Let's pray. Father, uh, may the words that have come from your word now um, be planted in good soil And uh, in all of the hearts in this room grow and um, produce a wonderful crop of faith, of righteousness, um, of lives lived for Jesus. And Lord, may we never take Jesus for granted. May we marvel at who He is and what He's done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.